and welcome to the first of our Myth Renegade recordings. Um, this is the Cultural Capital Podcast. I'm Andy Hazel. I'm Eloise Ross. And I'm Anders Furs. And we're coming to you live from the Festival Hub at the Forum Theatre in the middle of Melbourne in a sort of illicit scenario in which people around us aren't really aware that we're recording, but this is obviously very, very key and very important time for us to share our first thoughts on the first few days of Myth. I love it, Andy. It's very buzzy. You can hear the chatter of film culture all around us. It's my favourite place to be and it's just, you know, it's very temporally secluded kind of space. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes. it's really great to be here and yes. just make it happen. Okay, Let's without any further ado. Capital in the house. <laughs> without any further ado, we should lean in to our first takes. Professor Perlman. Thank you so much. So nice. I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. So what do you do around here? Read books, transcribe music, swim at the river, go out at night. Sounds fun. All right, later. Just watch. This is how we'll say goodbye to us when the time comes. Later. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll have to put up with him for six long weeks. So let's start with a film that we've all seen, which is Luca Guadagnino's Call Me By Your Name. Hello, you saw this back a long time ago. I saw it in January. You're one of the first people in the world to have seen this film. Yes, which is actually really nice. I was thinking, uh, not everything about Sundance is great, but what's great is seeing things that there's been no buzz about. I had no idea what what I was... I mean, obviously it was a novel first written by Andre Asselman, but... uh, Or however you pronounce his name. Um, But... I had no idea what I was in for, so I was completely stunned. And I've already talked about it on this podcast, yeah. so I won't go over and over and over again about my feelings. But yes, I saw it again, and it was beautiful. Right, okay. Did you get any deeper impressions the second time? Actually, first of all, we should just talk, tell the audience what this film is about. So, it's summer 1983 is the, the setting. It's in somewhere in northern Italy, yep. which the director explained in the Q&A afterwards was uh, done deliberately so that he could partly bring his own mm. childhood into the scenario. And it's about a um, 17-year-old boy called Ilio who uh, develops a passion for his father's research assistant, uh, who is seven years his senior, played by Army Hammer. Army Hammer, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And this passionate um, romance in shoes. I loved this film, Andy Hazel and Eloise Ross. I really, really loved it. And in fact, so much so that I woke up the next morning and I felt this huge emotional hangover from the film. It's very emotional and I think he's really hit on something in both the form and the content of this film. I mean... There's something to be said for watching this in the middle of a Melbourne winter yeah. when it's all about this idyllic Italian summer. Like, idyllic. There's, you know, endless time. They're all sitting around by the pool, reading, drinking apricot juice. Um, they're surrounded, you know, they go out partying at night. Everyone's in, you know, short shorts and, like, open T-shirts. I mean, it's very sexy and very, very... That's what's it's the got this relaxed vibe, which I really duck. Yeah, even though he's there doing work, you know, um, Oliver's there doing work on yeah. his, um, you know, being a research assistant to an archaeology professor, ancient histories professor, um, and he has a strict schedule, goes into it more in the book, in that he's writing a manuscript for his first book and getting it translated into Italian. 
So he is working on a tight schedule, but yeah, it's just a beautiful translation of the experience of summer. Yeah, it is one of these really strange movies um, that gives you the world of the really affluent academic, which I think only exists in the world of movies like this one, where you can yeah, spend so a lot of time lounging around a on a couch. Humanities uh, academics really this. Um, I don't. But that this is exactly plays to my point. It's total wish fulfillment. I mean, who? It spoke to you know. If I was seventeen years old now, I would be bloody. Well, I still am bloody uh, drooling over Army Hammer. But like <laughs> uh, to to see this like kid who's got a lot of sort of self esteem issues, this very anxious kind of kid, um, yeah. to see him like embark on this romance with Army Hammer's character, I just, I yeah, really activated something in me. Totally, I loved it. but Anders, you know what I love even more than that possibly yes. is that Army Hammer as his character Oliver as um, you know intelligent and as confident he as he is he has these really uncertain feelings for Elio yes. and he's really unsure about whether Elio reciprocates his feelings and he's very tentative and he's very meek and he almost he doubts himself and he almost hates himself and I feel like that is beautiful because it's human and even though he presents himself as really confident he suffers from all of these insecurities and that is communicated so well in the film just through the performances and the camera mm. which is really great because the book is full of internal monologue and the film yeah. doesn't have any of it but but that's still there it's still you know very um present yeah i agree i agree and another thing people have said which i totally agree with um is this idea of how integral the parents are to this mm. film and they're i mean they're sort of you know these intellectual types but very very open-minded and very I mean they give him permission so I, uh, yeah. there's a stunning monologue towards the end that oh yeah Michael we, Stubach's yeah, monologue is yeah, one yeah, of the yeah, greatest yeah. things yeah. I've seen in cinema all year it was yeah. just the most Beautiful. gorgeous yeah. validation of this whole romance that yeah I, I was totally blindsided by that because of plenty of the other film other parts of the film I, the, a lot of the courtship totally went over my head if I hadn't re- known to prepare to this relationship to be the focus of the film, I would never have realised that there was courtship going on at all. It was so ab- yeah, abuse. I missed it in the f- my first viewing. I missed it as well, um, and it was very funny to return to it. Yeah, I bet. How yeah. fabulous is the scene where they're like in town and they're walking around the monument, and yeah, it's the like monument. yeah, this seventeen-year-old kid is like kind of coming out, but in a very interesting kind of way, a very sort of you know, um, constrained, closeted kind of way, I guess. And the way they sort of circle each other playfully around yeah. this monument. It's brilliant. It's oh, it's a stunning movie. It's a stunning yeah, movie. Yeah, so that, that scene totally lost me. I was like, I can see what you want me to believe and I'm looking at, looking at this happen and I'm listening to the words and I'm just not getting any of it. Maybe oh, what? Totally, it did not work for me at all. Wow. Maybe you get it on the, maybe on the, sec, maybe on the second viewing. Yeah, I don't maybe. know, but yeah, I was like, I, yeah, okay, Ooh. this is meant to be a key scene. And yeah. It's just not. Um, no. But I loved. I mean, I liked the film. The film was yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, sure. It was so but elegant. No, disagree about that. Scene. It was beautifully paced. It was. It was such a James Ivory faffing about film. It was so James Ivory that, like, you know, where you know, no one expresses what they really feel. Yeah, it's yeah. Which is all at the core of my favorite film of all time, *Brief Encounter*. It's all about expressing. Not yeah. Oh my god! I was really going to say *Remains of the Day*. <gasps> Perfect example. Yeah. Um, it just makes my heart break. Uh, there aren't many remains of me after seeing that film. Hey, hey. But um, I, I loved it so much and I'm praying that we get a special screening later in a festival because I'm dying to rewatch it. Otherwise, it's out on Boxing Day. Yes. And it'll be very interesting to rewatch this at the height of an Australian summer. Mm. 
compare yes. and contrast. Absolutely. Um, Elo, um, can you? What was the first film you saw at MIF this year? The first film I saw at MIF was Celia Ann Turner's nineteen eighty nine film, made in Surrey Hills, Melbourne, and surrounds. Um, and I'd seen it already, but I just had to go and see it again. It had been restored, and this was the world premiere of the NFSA's new restoration of this film. Um, it was introduced by I forget her name, but someone from the NFSA who described how tirelessly it had been worked over. This 35mm print had been restored and it was screened digitally. But it looked incredible. It was at the forum, beautiful screen, sound. The colour grading of that film is just so incredible. There are um, scenes in, you know, in daylight, in bright sunshine, but also kind of, I don't know, all, almost these innocuous nightmares if that makes any sense at all I, I don't know it's a really strange film a, a young girl's um, nine-year-old's um, imagination kind of gets the better of her and she imagines um, people around her who you know you know the, the evil uncle kind of figure as this evil character from a book that she really likes called the Hobbyars. So the Hobbyars are these manifestations of just um, the, the enemy, I suppose, the non-parent, or even the parent in some cases. So it's a really interesting exploration of childhood and parental relations. And of course, it's also about communism. It's set in the 1950s and it's about... Um, in suburban Melbourne? In suburban Melbourne, yeah. So the communist witch hunt and also the... Um, which hunt uh, the culling of rabbits, the culling of domestic rabbit pets when they really meant to cull wild rabbits. So it's this really interesting kind of using the two, or using one for the other, I suppose, you know, this witch hunt for rabbits, um, misdirected witch hunt as um, a stand-in for this, the communist threat. Right, okay. Um, seen through the eyes of a childhood child it's amazing it's, so that was my first film that I saw and it was really special is it playing again at the festival it's not unfortunately oh, okay. but because of this new restoration um, it was a very myth festival film to see because it was a new restoration um, hopefully it'll be released on many platforms now or it could um, potentially be a surprise screening or a closing night film given that there's going to be a rescheduling it could be yeah because it is a really great Australian film um, and the director Anne Turner was there and she did a Q&A as did the, the star Rebecca Smart who I don't know if she's acting anymore but she did come along and answer right. some questions so cool. it's potential but it, if you if we don't get to see it again at the festival um, do seek it out great okay yeah, I will, definitely. Anders, what did you open your myth with? Well, I opened my myth with Call Me By Your Name, which makes me think that the rest of the festival will not quite live up to its opening night for me. But we'll see, we'll see. I'm very open-minded. Um, but following Call Me By Your Name, I saw on Saturday Popeye, this Thai film that's getting a second screening later in the festival. Now, this won a Director's Award at Sundance, the filmmaker, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, does anyone know? No. no. Um, the filmmaker's debut feature film, um, it's very, you know, it's got that Sundance aesthetic, it's very carefully composed shots, basically it's about this um, architect, this Thai architect who has a midlife crisis, buys an elephant and wanders rural Thailand. He like leaves his apartment in Bangkok and wanders along with the elephant and um, discovers some stuff about himself. And we learn, we sort of eventually learn why he's obsessed with elephants. And that 
sort of revelation is a really interesting exploration of the division between, you know, Bangkok and rural Thai society. And so he's sort of fled his rural upbringing, his family, to start a life as a whiz-bang architect designing all these modern constructions in um, 21st century Bangkok. Um, but he can't quite reconcile these two aspects of his identity, I guess. So, look, it was a fine film. Um, some some nice images. We did get a lot of images of this elephant <laughs> from every conceivable angle. So from under, above, behind, in front. Um, was it a metaphor? The elephant was a metaphor for his personal growth as a human <laughs> being. Um, and Spoiler there was a plot alert. twist about the elephant at the end, and I was like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so look, it was fine. I wouldn't, it, it wasn't amazing, but really... It did have some buzz at Sundance. Yeah, yeah, yeah and uh, really nice images, and I thought a really nice, um, interesting theme to explore, you know? Right. And I kind of wish um, it, cre- it explored it in a more creative kind of way, I guess. But at the same time, for a directorial debut, it was pretty pretty awesome. And, you know, a road movie, which is one guy walking with an elephant, um, that's kind of cool. Great. Yeah. That's screening again on Thursday, the 17th of August at 4pm. Yeah, if you're looking for a daytime session, uh, you could do a lot worse. Cool. Um, I opened my myth with uh, the Swedish-Danish production Sammy Blood, which uh, was really, really great. Um, And it tells the story of a 14-year-old girl called Ella Mache and her sister Njena, who are both um, like Sammy or Lap uh, uh, girls who um, are growing up in the far far north of Sweden. And they get sent to a school, uh, like a boarding school, to learn Swedish and learn about the world outside of their farm. But they straight away kind of come up against uh, racism and uh, this idea that they shouldn't really be educated, they should actually return to their communities and can perpetuate this way of life in a slightly condescending way. This is set in the like in the 30s or 40s. It's never really made clear, but there is jazz. So I'm thinking it's the 30s or 40s. Um, and so uh, uh, Ella Mahe is not really keen on this idea and she uh, goes to a dance where she meets some uh, Swedes and she ends up moving to Uppsala which is this the, a kind of large city partway down in the south of Sweden. And she goes there for the library and she goes there for the schools. And once she's there, she finds another type of racism and prejudice. And it's uh, it's not, not as bad as it sounds. There is quite a lot of points of comedy. There's some astonishing acting. There's a lot, like a lot of the other films I've seen so far, the camera is trained on a girl's face and that girl's face is just wonderfully expressive and really works. The director, Amanda Kernel, um, uses a lot of natural light, very sparse music. And it's really, really beautifully paced with like the processing of Ella Mahe, who adopts the name Christina partway through the film. And um, also her, sis- her real-life sister plays her sister on screen, who's, uh, her name is Lise- Lene S- uh, Celia Sparrow. And uh, they're basically fairly impassive faces, but it does really give them a hint of what's going on underneath, and that's a really fantastic film that I would recommend. It's screening again on Thursday the 10th at 6.30pm and Saturday the 19th at 1.30. Great. Cool. Queen is in the building. Introducing Miss Patricia Dabrowski, aka Patty Cakes, aka Kendall Bean. Gorgeous. You boss bitch. Where do you see yourself in five years? I hope to still be working for you, sir. <laughs> Your pen game is ridiculous. You have notebooks full of songs, Pete. 
How badly do you want this? You don't have a musical bone in your body, and you sure as hell can't sing. What kind of music are we talking about here? Them rap. Rapping. I'm singing, you know? Yo, Dumbo! Get out the street. Patty Cakes. Patty Cakes is great. I saw it at Sundance. I love it. Like, it's about real humans. <laughs> That stars uh, Melbourneian. Great energy, but Andy saw it here. Yeah, I saw it uh, yesterday. Um, Danielle McDonald. Um, it's a star-making turn. I really can't wait to see what she's going to do next because she was extremely believable as a New Jersey rapper. So believable. Yeah. Yeah, um, and a really unconventional character. And it was such a wonderful film to see so many women, so many interesting women on screen. I mean, it's basically a film. Even the dudes are super interesting. Misfits, unconventional. Just gonna say, I mean, yeah, like women. Fuck shout out to all of them and Kathy Moriarty yeah. who I haven't seen since Raging Bull so great yeah, yeah. she was fantastic in this um, yeah so she uh, so basically Patty Cakes is a uh, aspiring rapper who lives in a really really um, underprivileged part of New Jersey which is most of the state really um, but this is a particular part in which she has made friends with some other outsiders she's got a, a huge aspiration to be a rap star she worships a guy called OZ who's kind of a Jay-Z style figure I suppose um, but he lives nearby, as you find I out I read him some, somehow. I don't know, I just love to find um, Wizard of Oz connections in all sorts of <laughs> movies. Because he's Emerald Green, basically. His poster is, album is Emerald Green. So I saw him as like an Oz kind of figure. Oh, yeah. Like the great voice behind the curtain who is... Um, am I going to be a spoiler alert if I say a big, huge letdown? No, and, I think that's okay. fair. Yeah, anyway, there you go. Yeah, Wizard is, of Oz, Eloise does it again. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Um, no, um, but, obviously, but the story you, you sold, like this aspirational story of, an aspi- of a rapper, is basically almost dwarfed by the, dr- the personal drama of the film, which I thought was actually is a risky thing to do, but was totally paid off in this way. Um, I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the, all the performances and thought Great. it was uh, full of energy. Loved it. Cool. Um, That's also screening on August 18 at 6.30. Nice. Catch it. My, I think I will, actually. I think I will book into that. Um, I my second film of the festival was Ginger and Rosa, Sally Potter's oh, yeah. film, which is screening as part of um, Miss Retrospective of the director. Um, I really, really like this. This is such an interesting portrait, a very autobiographical. Apparently, um, all these experiences happened to her, um, but it's sort of London, nineteen sixty, early nineteen sixties, um, set in like the radical scene. Um, the particularly the two main characters, very precautious teenage girls who, you know, are out there protesting against um, uh, the atomic bomb and stuff like that. Um, I thought Elle Fanning, who was 13 years old when she starred in this film, is extraordinary. Yeah. Like, really next level good performance from her. She, yeah, I mean, her character, she's really, you know, um, she's a, a young woman who... I mean, both of them, actually. Uh, so Ginger and Rosa, they're these two best friends. Ginger played by Elle Fanning and Rosa played by Alice Englert, who is at MIFF this year with a film she directed, short film, Family Happiness. Um, yeah, so anyway. And is also a star of Top of the Lake, China Girl. Yes, Jane Campion's it. television show, which is showing here. Which is showing here, yes. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they both play these two very precautious teenage girls. Well... Precautious in the sense that the men in their lives sort of forced them to be, which I found really interesting. Um, this idea, you know, the main guy, Rolando, um, uh, Ginger's father, um, he's like, 
I don't know, he's like a real libertine kind of guy, but he's also, a, you know, he's conveniently a libertine, if you know what I mean. Like, right, you know, yeah. it's all in the service of Aren't his, they all? his life. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought it was really, really nice and really well, some really lovely images, like quite harsh framing choices. Um, particularly in this sort of final scene, which is like the dramatic denouement of the film, which all takes place in this really harshly lit house. Um, Christina Hendricks, uh, she's great in this film too. Um, and Oliver Platt, who I love. Yes. Great to see Oliver Platt. Um, yeah, so uh, this was a great film. And I highly, I'm sure it's very easily accessible. And I recommend, it's a good sort of, you know, midweek kind of film. You know, entertaining, interesting, and also does some interesting things. Yeah. Great. And Elle Fanning, amazing. Yeah. yeah. She's never let us down, I don't think. I just saw Claire Denis' new film, Let the Sunshine In. Um, that's the English title. There were two moments at which the French was translated into English differently. One was when the title card came up. It was translated as Bright Sunshine In, I think, or Bright Light In or something. Um, and then I, I heard uh, Juliette Binoche, the main character, actually either her or someone else said it um, as part of a sentence in the final scene and it was translated as um, bright, uh, brightness inside or something anyway. So, you know, it's just a nice catchy title. Reminds me of the song from Hair every time I hear the title. Anyway, that's all around <laughs> So basically this film was marketed as kind of a comedy from Claire Denis and everyone's like, you know, what's that about? This yeah. sounds really weird. Um, and I spoke, ran into some people afterwards. They were like, this is kind of pitched to me as a romantic comedy and none of us really knew what to think. Anders just said that it was based off um, a Roland Barthes novel, uh, The Lover's Discourse, I think, or some yeah. of his like short stories, which makes a lot of sense to me because basically it's just a very strange portrait of Juliette Binoche, this main woman. I don't actually know if we ever learn her name, um, but she's a woman living in Paris and we kind of just trace her I don't know how long the film goes for I think it goes for over a period of 12 months but there's no uh, markers of time there's no markers of you know days or, or what, whatever um, or momentous occasions she kind of just goes through a, a number of romantic relationships with men but we never see them begin or end she just has entered into them and is like has some moments and first I was quite bored because basically she's in a, a relationship with a man and he just talks and talks and talks and it's kind of made very obvious that she's bored by him talking and she just wants to get on with things you know whether it be sex or dinner or whatnot but he just keeps talking and this occurs with a number of different <laughs> men and I think the audience feeling is very much echoes hers which is can we just get on with it um, so I mean, it's quite funny I don't know if it works all the time, but but cumulatively, this is a very clever movie, I think. Um, the camera work is really interesting. I really do like the way that um, it kind of portrays relationships as just these, these things that happen and that don't really seem to be presented with all that much weight. But to her, we see Juliette Binoche taking it on emotionally and really, really coming to quite a hard place towards the end. And so it's really interesting and it's still sitting with me because I only just saw it tonight, but I think that I 
really, really like this film. It's very much Juliette Binoche's film. I was saying to someone afterwards, I don't quite know that it would work with anyone else who's less well-known or respected as her. Perhaps Isabelle Huppert, they both have this inscrutable face, very malleable, that could do anything. They can look amused and pissed off at the same time. I think both of the, those women can do that, but I don't know anyone else who can. So I mean, it's very much her film. Um, but I do really recommend seeing it and um, yeah, seeing what you think. So it is screening again on Saturday the 12th um, at Saturday the 19th. Saturday the 12th. I don't know, one of those two. I apologise. Um, Speaking of Claire Denis, she went to a school called Le Femis, which is the subject of my favourite film of the fest so far, which is a film called The Graduation, directed by Claire Simone. Really? Nice segue, Andy. Yeah, well, wow. it was very fortuitous. So this is a documentary about the admissions process to Paris's, or France's most notable film school, Le Femis, which has a very interesting method in which they don't actually decide who comes to the film at all, their school at all. They get um, a group of industry professionals to review all the candidates for a particular discipline. So this is a whole bunch of screenwriters will review the screenwriting students, a bunch of sound nerds and film directors and producers will review all the people who want to be in the sound course. So this film basically goes through the admissions process being a everybody who sits has to sit down and watch a short film clip, um, a clip of a film and then write a reflection on it. And then they all have to do an essay and then they all have to do an oral. Um, and in some cases, they have to go. They have to be like on. They have to go onto a set and direct a small scene with very short notice. So um, Claire Denis and Francois Ozon and a whole bunch of other directors have all been to this same school. Um, and it, uh, it's it's uh, basically a extremely fraught process about the, about how difficult it is to rate students and to decide who should be getting into these very very limited number of spots um, into this school. And also the there's just a sheer nervousness of the of the students as they go through these these stages because every one of them is like really really nervous, really like scared, but they all handle it in very interesting different ways. And so they're constantly asked questions about why do they want to be at the school? Um, can you talk about a, a film you've written or a film you liked? And just the, the breadth of backgrounds that they have, as well as the conversations that that uh, necessitates between the various uh, people on the selections panel about, oh, you know, she's from Côte d'Ivoire, is she going to find it too hard to be with the bourgeois French film students? Should that be something that they should be exposed to? Or will we be killing her creative impulses by putting her in this this, this um, really high-level, high-pressure scenario? So it's really fascinating, and I yeah, would recommend... I'm I'm very interested in these sort of institutional forces it that was very Frederick Wiseman. shape our... Film culture, yeah. I guess. So, There's a lot yeah, of cigarettes get smoked. I'd never he- heard of this or something. I think I saw the title of Graduation and I thought of that. Um, the Romanian. The Romanian film that came out and I was like, oh. I, I mean, I knew they were the same film, but I think that I just had a moment of like cognitive, like, I'll put that on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, if you're interested in film culture, I recommend it. It's screening August 19th at 11am. Great. Nice. Um, the other film that I saw that I will highly recommend, and it is screening again um, on Wednesday the 16th of August at 6.30, is I Am Not A Witch, um, which Andy, I know you saw. Yes. So this is directed by uh, Rungano Neoni, um, a Zambian director, yep. I think. Uh, well, it's filmed in Zambia anyway, uh, about a nine-year-old um, girl, Shula, who... Oh, yeah, she's given this name. She doesn't have a name of yeah, her own, which is true. unusual. She, yeah. she doesn't speak at first. She just, well, reportedly, she appears in this village. And she doesn't speak. She doesn't say her name. 
she's accused of I love it the first shot where she's kind of she appears on screen she's wearing this shaggy t-shirt that says hashtag booty call it's great <laughs> um, and you know something mystical kind of happens or so we get that sense and then she gets accused of being a witch um, it's this terrific kind of amusing opening scene with a police constable a female police constable kind of looking um, at all of these stupid you know they're brainless men and women accusing this girl of being a witch for no reason at all um, but in any case she gets branded a witch and obviously through this like local kind of process um, I think the council kind of takes them on and uses them as workers, kind of like slave labour, I Yeah, suppose. well, it's interesting because it's a government-backed witch program yeah. where these witches are basically used as for tourists to, like, look at how weird this, the Zambian locals are. Yeah, it's very absurd. And then they're all kept on white ribbons and yeah. they're connected so they can't escape or they can't fly away, that's according to the local government official. And then they were basically used as slave labour on various farms in the region. Until um, Shula, who she's given this name by an old woman who's or, or witch, um, is basically used as a judiciary, lo yeah. a local judiciary. So she's taken along to point out the person who stole money or the person who committed a crime, and she gets these first couple of instances right, and so she's instantly regarded as being very proficient at the spiritual thing. So it's this weird thing where they think she's a witch, so she channels, she has evil spirits. But also, if you throw some gin across your doorway, you can invite her into your house, and she'll actually be just a spiritual conduit. So it's a weird way that they have this kind of double standard, yeah. one of many hip hypocrisies and double standards in this film. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting film. Yeah. I highly recommend seeing it. It's very interesting. Um, it does have a strong narrative, but at the same time, it's very atmospheric. The use of music is incredible. It's like rich classical music pieces and then um, just pop. It's kind of cut in there and then cuts out. Um, yeah. So interesting. And it's much funnier than we may well have led to, to yeah. suggest it, because there yeah. are some ludicrously funny moments. In the yeah. Film, yeah. <laughs> um, and the director is really amazing and has blue hair. So. Right, does she? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so she trained in the UK, I think, and this is okay. her first feature. Yeah, know, yeah. Anyway, that I highly recommend. Seeing. Yeah, screens Wednesday, 16th at 6.30pm. Yeah. Uh, that's it for me. Well, I saw Bedevil as well, Tracy Moffat's first feature film um, as part of the Pioneering Women's program. It's not screening again, um, but yeah, that's an excellent one. So that's the summary of what I've seen so okay. far. Okay, Anders, do you have anything else? Uh, I'll just add, I just came from a screening of God's Own Country, another Sundance winner, another sort of fine movie, I guess. Um, is, it's, it, is it fine in... Inverted well, yeah, you know, it's fine. It's 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 a fun movie. I mean, I guess, so it's um, this um, farmer out on like the harsh Yorkshire terrain, sheep farmer with his um, parents, really really harsh world, and he sort of he spends his time getting blackout drunk, um, sort of failing to look after the farm, and then having sex with um, sort of random um, hunky dudes in a, down at the local pub. Anyway, into his life comes this Romanian farmhand um, and they sort of start this romantic love affair. Um, as the Myth Program guide says, sparks soon fly on the hillside. And they do. Um, I thought I thought there was some beautiful imagery in this film, particularly the final final sequence is, is, is really, really strong and really um, an interesting sort of subversion on homophobic language and um, sort of, yeah, a, 
rare, sort of takes the language of the closet and repurposes it, which is really interesting. But I felt like the emotion of that scene, the emotion of the film sort of climax was not earned. Like it's, yeah, it just didn't go all the way for me. Um, despite some, you know, quiet, sexy, you know, hillside romping by these two farmhands. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was good. It was fine. And, you know, an important story to tell, particularly um, about this particular region of the UK. But, um, yeah, it didn't hold me consistently the way that other films have. Is it a British Brokeback Mountain as it's being advertised? That's the way it's being advertised. I mean, yeah, in a sense it's a little bit dull and fine, yeah. It's sexier than Brokeback Mountain. But it did engage in this similar... You know what, there's this amazing um, essay by the theorist D.A. Miller about why Brokeback Mountain sucks. And his argument basically is like all the sex in that movie is de-eroticized because it's always undercut by like paranoia or like or shame. fear, shame, fear of being watched, blah blah blah. And there were elements of that in this movie too. But then it sort of went beyond that as well. I don't know, it's hard to sort of explain without spoiling it, but it both uh, it both sort of worked with operated within that same framework, but also rebuffed it, particularly in the final scene. Great, yeah. okay. Well, that brings us to the end of our first of our myth takes. Um, at the end of, what are we, a day three? Day four. Day three, day four. Day four, yeah. sorry, yes. Oh, actually, after opening night. After opening Yeah, which night. was the movie Jungle. Oh, Jungle. Which, yeah. I'll just leave it there. Um, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe made a video appearance before the movie began. Was that the best bit? That was the best bit. Great. And you got cocktails handed to you. There were like a lot of cocktails hands. by a particular vodka Behind brand who've been extremely well advertised throughout the festival. An automat for rich people. That's what yeah, I call it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, button, a buzzer operated automat for rich people. Yeah. Um, we'll see you or we'll speak into your earballs um, next week when we come back for our second Myth Dispatch. Yes, with fine. special guests. Oh yes, special guests. Special guests. So Stick see around. you then.